Pick your target and demonize. Hi, everybody. Brian Sussman here. It's the Brian Sussman Show podcast. So glad you're with me. I've been talking about the environment. I've been talking about climate change. But did you catch that opening statement? Pick your target, demonize, polarize. The wrap-up smear, as Nancy Pelosi has called it. I'm talking, of course, about the perp walk of Donald Trump. This is the media's big day. They've been salivating for this day for years. And they have selected their target. It's Donald Trump, former president of the United States of America. And they will demonize him because that's what cults do. Anyone who's on the outside of the cult, you're demonized. You're stupid. You're looked down upon. Because you're not in the in crowd. You don't have the better brain that they have. And isn't it interesting that in this series that we're into, and by the way, this is episode 161 of the Brian Sussman Show, it's our next portion of the skyjacked, the skyjacked debate. Uh, This has been quite a series so far, and I really appreciate all of your wonderful compliments and comments, etc., But this is episode number eight in the Skyjacked series. And we're going to be talking, as we have been, further about the mind of Karl Marx. Because you have to understand what's happening here. The mind of Karl Marx has so permeated so many leaders in America, particularly, of course, on the left side of the aisle. These are people who deep down hate America as we know it. They want to see it changed, changed radically into something more in keeping with Karl Marx than, for example, John Lott. And if you don't know who John Lott is, I'll have a podcast on this wonderful British theologian who lived in the 1600s and early 1700s. He's the guy that the founders of this country looked at as a philosopher to bring about this experiment in the United States of America, we call life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those words come from John Locke. That's what he said. A government is supposed to be there for, for these purposes and these purposes only, to defend life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the pursuit of happiness, John Locke said, was your property. Not just your physical property, say, for example, your house, your land, uh, your, your livestock, the clothes on your back, not just your physical property, but the property between your ears. The government's role is to stay out of the way of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness other than to protect those things. And John Lott thought those were were natural law, as he explained. Natural law. What does he mean by natural law? He meant that these are, are elements essential elements of God's law, that we should have life, that we should have liberty, that we should have the ability to own our own property, both physical and between the ears. And this is what the left hates. This is why the left hates America. This is why they put together the climate agenda targeting, first and foremost, the United States of America. And then... Second after that, the westernized world. 
So let me just stop down for a second. Please join me on Facebook, Brian Sussman Show, uh, my Instagram page, Daily Doses of Inspiration. That's all I do there. Brian Sussman Show for that as well. And again, just really glad to have you. I did not mean to tee off like this, but I am ticked off, quite honestly, with the news of the day. Because the left, listen, this is a, a tightly, it's a very, very tight, closed circle politics in the United States of America. And outsiders, especially in Washington, D.C., are not welcome. Not welcome, even by many in the Republican Party. And so you had the consummate outsider get into the White House. And the consummate outsider has been demonized ever since. And the last thing they want is for this consummate outsider to, to make it back. So they're pulling out all the stops. They're pulling out all the stops. So let's pick it up from where we left last time. And I'm going to prove something, how the left hates America and how this climate agenda is so focused, focused on the United States of America. I'm going to Karl Marx here. I'm going to pick up just where we left off in episode 160. Karl Marx perceived that a capital-based system of agriculture was irrational. He said no one should be able to make money from raising food. Now, you, you want crappy food? Seriously, you want crappy food? Then, then do it all nonprofit because you, you'll, you, you'll get what you pay for, so to speak. Um, I, personally, I personally eat a diet that uh, I want to know where the food came from. I personally eat a diet that is all organic. I'm just telling you. I actually raise my own beef. And I raise my own eggs. And I raise my own chicken. And the vegetables that are grown in my garden are top notch. But when I'm not growing, when I'm not eating what I'm growing, I will pay more for the organic. But if the government was in charge and it was a one size fits all, you want to see the kind of vegetables we would have? It would be like going to, um, it, <laughs> it would be like trying to find fresh fruit in Eastern Europe today. You're not going to find it. It's, it's still winter. Oh, boy. But here's what, here's what Karl Marx said. I'm sorry that I'm going off. I don't, I'm just, this is, this is quite a day. He said, all progress in capitalistic agriculture is a process in the art, not only of robbing the laborer, but of robbing the soil. That's Karl Marx. And he said, the more a country starts its development on the foundation of modern industry, like the United States, for example, the more rapid is this process of destruction. This is Karl Marx in the 1800s saying the United States is destroying North America. The United States is therefore destroying the rest of the world in the process. And by the way, Das Capital, that's where he was writing this, his book called Das Capital, one of his signature books. It's, it's still held as gospel by progressives today because they believe no one has the right to make a profit off of any natural uh, resources. It doesn't matter if it's food, it doesn't matter if it's water or timber or coal or gas or oil. It doesn't matter. And whether it's saving the forest or saving the whales or saving the snails or saving the climate, it all comes back to a deep-rooted contention that the quest for such profit is unethical and unless it's ground to a halt, will ultimately destroy the planet. Now, enter the World Economic Forum. 
This is exactly why the World Economic Forum, these are the guys that meet at Davos every year. Can I tell you something? These are the rulers of the world. They are the rulers. They are calling all the shots and they have, they have put together an unbelievably strategic plan. And, and why not? They have some of the greatest business thinkers on the planet working with them. These are people that know how to build companies and organizations. They're all working together. And this plan they have, it's all on their website. Pages and pages and pages and pages and pages of information. It's all there. They're not shy about it. But what they are shy about is this. They are marching to the tune of Marx. They think they can do socialism better than it's ever been done before. And every time it's been attempted, real socialism, every time it's been attempted, it has been a disaster. So here we are. This is the World Economic Forum. This is their plan for future farming. It's called 100 Million Farmers. The agenda has three objectives. I'm quoting, accelerating the transition toward food systems that are net zero. That means absolutely no carbon dioxide is, is emitted during the farming process. Now, I'm assuming, who knows? Maybe that even means humans. You know, right now, all of us, we're expending, we're putting out carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. We breathe in oxygen, expend carbon dioxide. So is this a farming system that's robotic? It could be at the end of the day, but I can tell you something. Corporate farms, as far as the World Economic Forum is concerned, are, are going to be a thing of the past. So they want food systems that are net zero, no carbon, nature positive, nature positive, that means it's another term for sustainable and that increase farmer resilience, farmer resilience. Uh, you know, when you drive in California, you still see loads of migrants picking food. Loads of migrants, migrants come and pick food. They've been doing that here for years. All the farms use uh, migrant labor. They come up from Mexico legally because they have work visas and they work and they work hard, by the way, and uh, they travel around from farm to farm to farm. That's just what they do. I have friends who grew up doing that with their parents. I have some very good friends who grew up doing that when they were kids. And um, they're some of the some of the smartest people I know. Incredible. Their parents came here got the kids working in the fields at a very young age. The whole family worked together. They moved from orchard to orchard to orchard. They were orchard pickers. And uh, the family saved up their money. The kids ended up getting great educations. One of my friends had a top, top, top security clearance in aerospace. He started picking fruit on a farm when he was a kid. But you see, the World Economic Forum people see that as slavery. They don't want that. So I guess they want everything to be somehow mechanized, but at the same time, without the expenditure of any carbon dioxide. It's all a pipe dream. It's all a pipe dream. But continuing, continuing, critical to this action is the development and deployment of market-based incentives such as carbon markets. Oh gosh, That signal to actors along the supply chains that there is value beyond productivity alone. A carbon market is this. If you're going to use mechanization 
to pick fruit or pick the crops or, you know, harvest. And that mechanization involves an engine that might be diesel that expends carbon dioxide. Well, then here's what you'll do. If you're putting out X amount of carbon dioxide, then you promise that you will plant X amount of trees to make up for the carbon dioxide that you're expending. I, this is, these are carbon offsets. This is the dumbest thing. It's, or, or, or you'll give money to Greenpeace or you'll give money to that charity or maybe you'll make a donation to the World Economic Forum. That, that's a carbon market. Listen, if you're a student of history, and I know this audience is because these are, these are a little different in terms of podcasts, you should find the WEF's plan frightening. It's reminiscent of the Great Leap Forward. Have you heard of that before? Because the World Economic Forum is all about this great reset. The Great Leap Forward was the economic plan executed by Mao Zedong and the Chinese Communist Party in 1958. It, they had it for three years. It was a disaster. Again, this plan only lasted three years. And when it was all said and done, there was mass starvation. Don't let the government grow your food, friends. That's going to be a disaster. Between 30 and 45 million Chinese citizens died due to famine. And those who complained were oftentimes either placed into forced labor camps or they were executed. I mean, is, is this what the WEF thinks they can do better? This mindset is just amazing. Again, population 8 billion. They want to reduce it to at least 2.5 billion. How do you accomplish this? So... Here's a, a very uh, well-received, popular paper on overpopulation by Paul Ehrlich. He's the guy that wrote uh, the population book. It was called The Population Bomb in 1968. This is a 2014 paper. This guy is a professor emeritus at Stanford. I, for, in my opinion, he's never seen a person that he thought was expendable except for the elites. Everyone else. Because how are you going to do this? How do you go from 8 billion to 2.5 billion? Okay, he says, there have been repeated calls for rapid action to reduce the world population humanely over the coming decades to centuries with lay proponents complaining that sustainable advocates ignore the elephant in the room of human overpopulation. So he's saying, just to summarize where we are he's saying there have been repeated calls for rapid action to reduce world population and he's saying there is an elephant in the room and then he says quote amoral wars and global pandemics aside the only humane way to reduce the size of the human population is to encourage lower per capita fertility now of course this is why Abortion is called a reproductive right. But did you catch what he just said here? He said, amoral wars and global pandemics aside. Doesn't this imply that such tragedies are acceptable? To bring forth the goal of a greatly reduced population? 
That's what he's saying. Okay, on the table, let's just put it all. How, we, how do we reduce population? Okay, let's just put it all on the table. War's one way, right? Check. Global pandemic, check. Uh, abortion, lower fertility per capita, check. You're not going to go from 8 billion to 2.5 with reproductive rights. By the way, Ehrlich, forget 2.5 billion, Ehrlich contends the optimum population of the earth is 1.5 to 2 billion people, not 2.5. So the, you have to understand when, when we talk about, when we talk about climate change, when we talk about sustainable development, when we talk about all the things associated with that, including social justice and social equity, we're talking about a reduction in population that they're cool with just occurring one way or the other. The, the prescribed way would be ah, just having less people. But if we got to do something else, Al Gore was the guy that said, you know, this transformation is going to be gut-wrenching. Paul Ehrlich's the guy who's, who equated people with a cancer. So I, I'm not making this up. This, these are their own words. Now, there are three additional founders of the green agenda that you need to hear about. And we'll do this again tomorrow because what you're going to learn as you go through this series with me is that Karl Marx and some of his immediate disciples were the very first people to realize that, that we've, we've got an opportunity here. We can use the ecology you know, beyond just guano, which we talked about in the last podcast, we can use the ecology of the earth. In fact, are you ready for this? In fact, a disciple of Karl Marx coined the term ecology. So get ready on this, the Brian Sussman Show podcast. That's going to come about in tomorrow's episode. That's episode number 162. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Brian Sussman Show. My website is briansussman.com, of course. And then for daily doses of inspiration. And whoo, boy, given today's news, yes, that's what we need. If you like this podcast, please tell others about it. <laughs> the bigger the audience, the happier I get. Thank you very much, everyone. God bless you. And until next time. <laughs>